0: Audiologist a Phonak podcast
1: Welcome to the Audiologist a podcast series created by Phonak to offer audiologists and people interested in audiology new perspectives on hearing health topics This series of podcasts is all about adults with severe to profound hearing loss At the microphone is audiologist Bernadette Fulton. I'm audiology manager for severe to profound hearing loss at Phonak International Headquarters in Switzerland. With me today is audiologist Judith Bird. Judith is a clinical scientist at Cambridge University Hospitals in the UK, where she leads specialist audiology services for adults with severe and profound hearing loss. She's also a contributing author to the guidelines. Welcome, Judith. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Those affected by severe to profound hearing loss are patients that we will see over a very long period and... You've said before that in your clinic, you have a three-year cycle of reviews, so long as everything has been stable. Now, at one of those review appointments, if I check the hearing is stable, so the audiogram hasn't changed, the hearing aids are in good working order, if I freshened up the ear mould and tubing and the patient seems happy, have I done enough? Good question.
0: So I think you're right that often we see these patients in cycles. So three years is commonly used in the UK... Uh, But for patients close to CI criteria, you might want to do that more frequently. But often care then comes in packets. We do an assessment, we plan some interventions, maybe new hearing aids, and then we have a follow-up. And I think follow-up appointments for this group of patients are really important. So I would like to talk a little bit about how we use those appointments. So I think there are many purposes to a follow-up appointment. So the first one I think is to... Look back at the things you talked about, assessment, your treatment goals. Identify any gaps that you've not managed to sort out. And I think the second thing is this is where you can really push yourself to explore alternative interventions. Often at your, you know, you might have done a fitting appointment and there's not much time to do much else. So this is your chance to take a bit of a step back and think through, is there anything else that you could be doing And so be creative. Uh, What are the kind of things you can do? So it might be that there's some additional technology that's worth considering. So microphones or something that might help them in the workplace. I think you can also help people think through their environment. Are there different ways of laying out the furniture in their living room that's going to make things easier with their family? Are there hearing tactics that they could use a bit more cleverly to make things easier in conversations? And are there any local support organisations who can help? So make sure you've got really up-to-date information on everything that's available. So peer support, lip-reading classes, and any organisation that can help in the workplace. Thirdly... The other purpose I think in your follow-up is are there any other referral routes that are going to be suitable? So obviously the main one we think about a lot is cochlear implants but it might be that other things are indicated. So, maybe they need some specialist tinnitus help. Maybe they're suitable for another implantable device, so a bone conduction device. Or we've certainly had occasions where people with otosclerosis have you know, made a decision years ago to opt for hearing aids and not surgery, but actually they end up going back to the surgeons and revisit that decision later on. So, take the time to just think through if anything else is a possibility. And the final thing, I just say don't neglect the basics. So just make sure that patient is equipped to manage their hearing aids as well as possible. So, you know, with an ageing population, people sometimes have sight and dexterity issues that make it hard to use hearing aids. So have they got all the support in place to help them get the hearing aids in, handle the hearing
1: aids and manage batteries and tubing? So at the beginning of what you just said, you mentioned about kind of going back to the assessment and most of us at an assessment would do a patient reported outcome measure and most of us would routinely use that after we fitted new hearing aids but you seem to be saying that we should be using that more and in a routine follow-up appointment sometime after the fitting revisit the assessment and revisit those outcome measures is that
0: right so I think it works well to use an outcome measure when you've done that package of care because you want to be able to refer back to the goals uh, that you set in the first place. So, it might not be that you've done a hearing aid fitting because maybe the hearing aids were already optimised. It might be that you've done some other intervention. So, perhaps trying a remote microphone for the first time. So an outcome measure doesn't just isn't just evaluating the difference that hearing aids make it's evaluating the impact of whatever intervention so it still sits well in that package of care but doesn't have to be tied to hearing aid fitting so i think those patient reported outcome measures do represent the most effective way of capturing the information um, about how well you're doing compared to those gold in a semi-structured way There isn't one that's specifically designed for people with severe profound hearing loss, so sometimes they can feel a bit clunky. So definitely choose a questionnaire that's got proven reliability, validity and sensitivity. And for this patient group, you probably want to avoid one which relies on aided and unaided comparisons because that might not be meaningful, as many of your patients will be long-term hearing aid users and spend very few waking hours unaided examples I would say that work well are the COSI or the IOIHA, but check out the guidelines for more information. It's a great resource. It's got a good summary section of all the tools
1: available. It was really interesting to me when we first, the authors first got together and one of the first questions that was discussed was, who's got an outcome measure for people with severe to profound hearing loss? And it was really apparent from that very first meeting that no such thing existed actually. And uh, I think it was a bit of a wake up call for all of us that this is a neglected area. Something else that I've heard you talk about with Laura Turton, our editor, was that you routinely at review appointments, you use something called the parrot test, which I've never heard of, Can you tell us a bit about the Parrot Test and how you're using it?
0: Yeah, surely. So, um, I think the Parrot Test is just a bit of equipment. It's nothing fancy, but we use it for doing speech testing. So, let's just talk a bit about aided speech testing. I think it's really key that we use this for staging where people are in their journey to cochlear implants. So, most countries will have implant criteria that use some kind of speech measure. And so, we're finding a lot of people in the UK, audiometrically in criteria, but in terms of speech scores are not. And so, more and more, we're trying to incorporate that aided speech testing into our follow-up so that we can see if now is the right time to refer or maybe we wait a little bit longer. And so the Parrot is just a really easy system to use. It's portable, you can calibrate it easily and it's relatively cheap to buy. So that's just one system that has worked very well in our clinic. There are many ways that you can set up a calibrated system to do aided speech testing. Um, But I think the Parrot is just one that's that's worked well for us. Um, And I think, you know, that portability is quite key. So you may not have a facility where all your rooms are well set up for doing... um, aided testing, but having something that you can quickly put into place is quite useful.
1: So have you found the aided speech testing more sensitive perhaps than the audiogram to changes in the auditory system for these people?
0: Yeah, I think sometimes we have seen cases where the audiogram has been stable, they've reported difficulty and we test their aided speech results and they have got worse. Uh, So I think it's really important that you you do try and assess both. If you're just doing it on audiometric criteria alone – you might find that you swamp your implant teams with people who aren't suitable. And actually, I think we want the right people to get there at the right time. So I think audiology teams need to be doing their bit in managing that. I think in the past, we would often refer patients early to the implant team so that they could get the information there. I think now more and more people are eligible. That's presenting an unmanageable demand for implant teams. And so audiology teams need to do a bit more in
1: sharing the burden for that. Mm. That might be a particular problem at the National Health Service because, of course, it's a government-funded service as well, which makes accessibility easier. So back in the hearing aid clinic, many adults who have long-standing severe and profound hearing loss they grow very clever at compensating for their hearing difficulties. For example, they may be really amazing lip readers or they might have been able to really accept their limitations a bit more than maybe they should. Can they be too accepting and is there a role the audiologist should play here?
0: I think that's a really good point. I think you're right that sometimes restriction of activities creeps up on people And I think our job is to help those with hearing loss, not let let that limit what they want to do in life. So even sometimes when we're setting goals, we have to phrase our questions carefully and listen to things that people say they've stopped doing. Sometimes they'll just tell us, you know. What they want to hear now um, but sometimes if you ask them you know about the things they used to do or if there's anything they stopped doing because of their hearing loss it can open a whole new area of, of things that people would like to do if they could and so then I think our role is to help people explore how we can make it happen how they can maybe do things differently what we could put in place to support to try and make uh, those things achievable again. I think that kind of contentment with the status quo also comes up a lot when you start talking to people about cochlear implants, that sometimes people, for us as audiologists, people seem surprisingly resistant to something that's likely to bring significant benefits. And sometimes the reasons people give for not exploring CIs is simply saying that they're managing. Now, we know that the journey to cochlear implants is a complicated one and that each individual We'll have barriers and concerns unique to them, but we do want to help people make informed decisions and about the right time about how they want to proceed. So we've got to get those resources in place to help them make those decisions. You talked about lip reading. I would say doing aided speech testing is really helpful to show patients and their significant others how big an effect that is. Because if you do an aided speech test without lip reading, sometimes they do yeah. far worse than they expect to. So that can be quite a helpful tool in opening up the conversation. Yeah.
1: In the guidelines, We wrote a little bit about the need for hearing care professionals to support one another, especially if they don't see people with severe and profound hearing loss very often. And I believe you have an initiative that you've taken to help provide this sort of peer support. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah, so, and
0: I think... I would say first that now there is this wonderful scheme in the UK, the Cochlear Implant Champions Scheme, that is a national initiative um, that is really helping CI teams and audiology teams come together. But even before that was ever birthed, we had a system in our region that worked really well. It's nothing groundbreaking, but I think as audiologists, we should definitely all be lifelong learners. And particularly where we know There's a lot of evidence that healthcare professional knowledge can facilitate people's journey to cochlear implantation and lack of it can be a significant barrier. So let's not be the barrier. So this is all about learning together. Now, we set up um, a regional group, so our region is East Anglia. For those of you who don't know the UK, that's the bulgy bit out in the east that's got the most easterly point of the UK. It's very flat and quite dull. It was renowned for having big skies, just out of interest, but there we go. <laughs> uh, anyway, in our region, we came together... Um, and set up a learning community is the way I like to think of it. We call it our Severe Profound Regional Forum. And we meet a few times a year and people working with people with severe profound hearing loss come together and join with some of the members of the implant team as well um, and try and explore areas of knowledge. We try; It's helped us certainly get better informed about cochlear implants, but we've also looked at Um, additional technology and remote microphones. We've looked at the way that we set up frequency compression and how we verify that. So, I have certainly gained a huge amount by being part of that community. Just really pushing my own learning by meeting with people outside my own service has been a really helpful thing. So I would say to people, if you're not plugged into a learning community, then set one up because
1: you'll all benefit from it. It just makes real sense, doesn't it? So I'd like to try and recap the messages from our discussion today. We discussed that for clients with severe and profound hearing loss, it's really important to measure outcomes, and even later in the process, not just right at the beginning. And also that if the audiogram is stable and the hearing aids are in good working order, there can be a decline in the audibility, as you said, measured with the parrot test, and that the ability to cope with the hearing loss can change over time. And so there may be a lot of other issues which need to be addressed beyond just the audiogram. And aided speech testing is useful for looking for a deterioration in listening abilities that are not captured in the audiogram. And I think you've kind of outlined that the client can be a little bit too accepting sometimes and that they need to be offered an update on the solutions that can help them and the opportunity to take up those suggestions. And um, also that if you're an audiologist who rarely sees clients with severe and profound hearing loss, then creating or joining a learning community can be really helpful. Have I missed anything important? No, I think that
0: sounds great, Bernadette. I think in dealing with people with severe profound hearing loss, I think the key things are being well-informed. So making sure your own knowledge is up to date. Be thorough. Push the boundaries about what you can do. Be as creative and as holistic as you can to try and help people live well with their hearing difficulties.
1: So that's the mnemonic itch, isn't it? That (laughs) we've laughed about before. (laughs) snuck it in Judith. (laughs) I did sneak it in. Other than the itch, do you have a closing message for our listeners? No, I think
0: I think that sums up informed, thorough, creative, holistic, that I think that is how we want to be with our patients with severe profound hearing loss to help them live as well as they can.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today, Judith, and especially for your work in making the guidelines for best practice a reality. If you would like to learn more or obtain a copy of the best practice guidelines, they can be downloaded from the Phonac Pro website, which is www.phonacpro.com, and then look for severe to profound hearing loss.
0: The audiologist a Phonak podcast.